Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads, generally, for most people, are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to Condensed History, the podcast that takes pop culture and reveals the real history underneath it. I'm your host, Jem Daduchu, and what we're doing this time round is Thor, Love and Thunder, which means we're going to be talking a lot about Scandinavian mythology, but also something to do with the evolution and history of Marvel comic books as well. So we're going to go back more than a thousand years, we're going to cover multiple continents, and we're going to show how an ancient pagan god is box office in the 21st century in cultures the people who created the concept of Thor couldn't possibly imagine. And I find that really interesting, and I hope you do too. Ooh, that's interesting! So... <laughs> where to start with this one? Well, I decided the best place to start is actually the comic books. Because obviously the way this podcast tends to work is I start with the pop culture and then I move into the history. But this one, I'm going to have to sort of do a little bit of both and certainly a bit of comic book history. Please do note, this is no ordinary comic book. So you get something like Superman and Batman, and this is created by DC Detective Comics in the late 1930s. And various other things launch most notably for something that would become Marvel Comics, we get Captain America in the 1940s, who is created as a propaganda piece for World War II. Hence why he's called Captain America and basically has a flag on his shield. Who's strong and brave here to save the American way? Not all of us can storm a beach or drive a tank, but there's still a way all of us can fight. So all of that's happening in the 30s and 40s, and really we have to come into the 60s, the Silver Age of comic books as it's referred to, where we get the likes of Spider-Man. And His Royal Highness Stan Lee becomes this sort of cultural touchstone in inventing new concept after new concept for this newly formed comic book enterprise called Marvel Comics. So, for example, the very first supergroup, first collection of superheroes was the Fantastic Four, created by Marvel. And in that one, what we've got is a bunch of astronauts that when out in outer space, cosmic rays change their bodies so that you have somebody who can stretch lots, somebody who can go invisible, somebody who can fly and burn all the time, somebody who turns into a pile of rocks. Why those cosmic rays have such fundamentally 
different realities for these people, these sort of different superpowers and different side effects. Never properly explained, because let's face it, it's comic books. This is the thing. We need to go back to the fact that now, 21st century, comic books are big business, but they were aimed for kids for more than 50 years. So let's not get too sniffy with this stuff. But with the Fantastic Four, we got cosmic rays. Spider-Man, bitten by a radioactive spider. The Hulk, we got Bruce Banner, the scientist interacting with gamma rays. More radiation there, and so on and so forth. And Iron Man, for example, needed to build his suit to get out of a POW camp, out of being a prisoner in, originally, Vietnam. And obviously, times have changed, so now it's sort of Afghanistan-ish. So those are the origins. But as Stanley said, he created in the 1960s, later in the 1960s, the idea of the X-Men, the mutants. What'll happen to her? Well, that's up to her. Rejoin the world as an educated young woman, or stay on to teach others, to become what the children have affectionately called X-Men. Reason for this? Twofold. There's the worthy reason, which I'll come on to in a moment, and the more practical reason. Because... There are only so many times people can fall into a vat of radioactive acid or go into space or get a magic ring or whatever. The the basic sources of how these people got their powers was beginning to repeat itself. So, with the idea of the mutant gene, and we get things like the X-Men and Wolverine and so on and so forth, all these people are basically born that way. No need! for vats of radioactive acid or anything else. So it's just like, what do I want them to do? Okay, they can fly, they can heal, they can, they got psychic powers. It's just they're a mutant, done and dusted, sorted. The other reason, which most people are aware, is that we've got Professor X versus Magneto, and this was meant to be the comic book version of Martin Luther King and Malcolm X. And the mutants were basically a metaphor for the kind of civil rights that were going on. I've heard these arguments before. It was a long time ago. Mankind has evolved since then. And it's beautiful. It's lovely. I think we can all agree that that's a noble effort to be put in there. But again, there's only so many ways we can introduce these superheroes. But, of course, there are, sort of, superheroes in the past. Everything I've mentioned so far is property of and intellectually created by various 20th century comic book writers. Thor has got nothing to do with comic books. Thor was around before America even knew it wanted to be called America. And because of that, we're dealing with a god. And that means that they're not copyrighted. What I find fascinating is that the Greek gods have also gone into both Marvel and DC. There is a Hercules in the Marvel Universe, and there's a Hercules in the DC Universe, and they're not the same. And they go off and do very different adventures. But of course, they're based on Hercules, technically Heraclius, who is an ancient Greek demigod, discussed more than two and a half thousand years ago. The great thing about these things is they're out of copyright, they've already got some powers, so let's go for it. And it's the same thing with we already had sort of like some sort of superhero-y thing. And, and this is the weird thing about Thor. We've got these various gods now in this story, which obviously they kind of had to sort of retcon and say, well, to normal humans, they're gods. 
and their technology looks like magic to us, as Arthur C. Clarke famously said. Any advanced technology would look like magic to a civilization that doesn't have that technology. He said it's snappier than that, but that was the basic gist of this. Any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. If I walked in with an iPhone and showed a Rome in it, I would probably be accused of witchcraft, but it's just an iPhone, is the reality. So, we've got Thor now linked into the world of superheroes. And the irony is that in the early 2000s, there's this highly successful series of comic books that pulled together all the Marvel superheroes into something called Civil War. And a lot of these stories, the best stories that have been done in comic books, are now being reinterpreted and put into the movies. And so there was a civil war for Captain America. This was the third Captain America movie called Captain America Civil War. <laughs> surprise, surprise. And Thor wasn't in it. Thor wasn't in it for reasons I will explain in a little bit, but he wasn't there. And yet he was an important part of the original Civil War story. But then again, other characters didn't turn up either, like Punisher for reasons because he was actually owned by Netflix at that point and doing his own thing. So yeah, that's, that's why he wasn't there. Thor has been established for more than 50 years in the comic books. He has been an Avenger, both in the comic books and on the big screen, and he goes off and does his own adventures too. The thing is about Thor, is they have based him on the real god and the real mythology of the Norse civilization. So we now come to the first movie where we see Thor. Admittedly, it was queued up. A lot of the Marvel movies have like post-credit stings or post-credit extras. And in a previous movie, there had been Thor's hammer embedded in rock. So uh, we found it. So clearly Thor's coming, but... The first movie, called Thor, <laughs> is in 2011, directed by Sir Kenneth Branagh, Oscar winner now, thanks to his movie Belfast. And we get Chris Hemsworth really embodying the Norse god. He is ripped, he has lovely tussled blonde hair, he's got a nice beard. Branagh, Kenneth Branagh, actually said it was a mistake to dye his eyebrows blonde as well. He looks a bit funny in the first one. It's because they dyed his eyebrows blonde. So Mr. Hemsworth, very much a proud Australian, playing a thousand-year-old Norse god who is speaking with a very received pronunciation, RP accent, sounding like he should be in Laurence Olivier's Henry V or something like that. If you take me there now... I'll tell you everything you wish to know. Maybe I'm not unsurprising because Kenneth Branagh has directed himself and others in some extremely good film adaptation versions of Shakespeare. But the thing is, when Branagh was actually making the first film, he couldn't pronounce the hammer that Thor had. He kept stumbling over it and he eventually said, can we not just change the name? And to Marvel's credit, they went, no, Thor's always had the hammer Mjolnir because that is literally a thousand years ago, the name of the hammer of Thor. Well done, Marvel, for sticking to the mythology. The movie Thor that came out in 2011 was fine. It's largely considered one of the lesser films of the Marvel franchise. I mean, there are close to 30 of them at the time of recording. 
there's gonna be more, but it wasn't that great. It was a bit small in terms of its scope in the world, for example. I mean, really, part of it is like the fish out of water. There's some funny scenes in it, but largely it's about him fighting a thing in a small town in America. I mean, hardly Thor-like, is it? And yet we see Asgard, and we see the magic of the Rainbow Bridge and things like that. More on that a little bit later on. So we see how big it is, and we get introduced to his brother Loki. And in Norse mythology, Loki really is the brother of Thor, so simple as that. So they've kind of got the basics right. However, visually, it looks kind of like a cross between sort of Star Wars and, I'm going to say, Game of Thrones. It isn't really very Norse. Nobody sort of sitting there in a sort of a mead hall or something like that. It's not exactly dark and gloomy. It's beautiful and illuminated. It's lovely. So that was 2011 Thor. Now, in the meantime, there had been an Avengers film, which Thor was part of. He's been in every Avengers movie and he's been in Civil War. And he's also been doing his own movies as well. We had to wait two years. We're now into 2013 to get his next sort of solo outing, which is Thor The Dark World. I'm not overly fond of what follows. Which a lot of people say is the very worst Marvel movie. Now, we can argue about where it is, where it is down at the bottom of the pecking order, but it's certainly not great. Again, there's elements of comedy there. There's a funny scene where he forced to get on a tube train in London and, you know, he's standing there in his Thor regalia and everybody else is just a commuter. That's kind of chuckle-worthy. But the problem is the, the villain is very one-note, pretty much instantly forgettable. Sorry, Christopher Eccleston, you are a great actor, but you weren't given much to do in that film. And we get an introduction of an Infinity Stone, and so we're starting to sort of find out more of what's going on. And... Okay, fine. It's fine. It's it's not, I'm not going to say it's a bad movie, but it's certainly not a good movie. It's a slog rather than this is fun. So then we had to wait four years for 2017's Thor Ragnarok. Now, the first one, as I said, was directed by Sir Kenneth Branagh, and it's very Branagh-esque. He doesn't really have a lot of signature moves, but it, he's a very competent director. Uh, I compare him to Ron Howard. You know, both of them have made very good movies, but you can't really tell it's their kind of movie. And they're all kind of workmanlike. They're solid. They're fine. But now we come to Taika Waititi, who is fundamentally a comedy director. What We Do in the Shadows, which has been turned into a TV series, was his first movie. It was very low budget. It was basically about vampires and werewolves or a bunch of vampires specifically living in a house together, in New Zealand. So they've all got New Zealand accents, and uh, they it, it's just a really fun movie. And the TV series is also really, really excellent. Is Peter coming? Shall we be great? Peter's 8,000 years old. We're not going to have Peter at the meeting. Where the Wilder Men Are, that's a great movie with Sam Neill. And yeah, he's also done Jojo Rabbit. I've done a whole podcast on that one. You might want to listen to that one. So, yeah, he he does fun, comedy, sort of zany stuff. There's this manic energy to it. And he just realized that Thor was ridiculous. Now, of course, for a movie, there's got to be genuine threat and terror there. But it's far funnier. It is far more of a basically a buddy movie. We're talking about Thor and Hulk. And the reason why neither of them were in Civil War is it turns out that they were 
across the galaxy having to do their own things. They couldn't possibly have helped out in Civil War. Clever retconning there, connections, etc. And another thing that I said about using famous storylines, they did rather, the one thing I'm cross about Thor Ragnarok is they use Planet Hulk, which is, everybody agrees, it's the best Hulk story ever. He goes to another planet, he basically starts as a gladiator, and he starts rebelling against the authorities and, in essence, building his own civilization. And so his strength is used to protect these people and to conquer as well. It's a really clever idea. It's, I would thoroughly recommend, if you only ever read one Hulk comic book, read Planet Hulk because it's just great. Unfortunately, in this one, it's, it's basically 10 minutes of a movie and then it goes off to something else. It's obviously not even a Hulk movie. It's a Thor movie. But it is hilarious. There were multiple times I just laughed out loud. It is easily, up until that point, the funniest Marvel movie so far done. And 10 out of 10 to Taika Waititi for suddenly turning the most burdensome, workmanlike part of the Marvel Universe into something genuinely interesting and exciting. Unsurprisingly, it grossed more than the other two movies. But that was 2017. So the first one came out in 11. We had to wait two years for the second one. We had to wait four years for the next one. And now we've had to wait five years for Thor Love and Thunder. Thor 4, which is a hard thing to say. And also, as I've already pointed out, two out of three of the previous movies are not well regarded in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And yet Thor is the first superhero to get four movies. Like I say, not including things like people popping up in Avengers Endgame or in each other's movies, etc. There was only an Iron Man 1, 2, and 3. There was Captain America 1, 2, and 3. They were called different things, obviously. But Thor is the only person so far to have got four movies with his name in the title, if you like. Well done, Thor. And I think that this is actually a sign of confidence in Taika Waititi, who's finally got the handle on how Thor should kind of feel in the cinematic universe, but also in terms of just entertaining people. Because going back to the first one again, there were times it was all rather po-face. It was time I was look, like looking at Shakespeare light or diet Shakespeare, something like that, which unsurprisingly kind of Branner and obviously because of Thor's background, this kind of fits. It's not exactly what people munching popcorn in Milwaukee want to see. So yeah, let's just have some fun with it. This is a man with a magic hammer that comes back to him. Thor Ragnarok, one of the best lines in the whole movie is Thor is bemoaning how, how Mjolnir has been destroyed. And he's talking to his father, Odin. And Odin says, you are the god of thunder, not the god of hammers. Are you Thor, the god of hammers? And that's a great line. He's right. He's absolutely right. And so we, we get the lunacy there. And there was lots of controversy. There was rumors there was going to be a female Thor and they're going to phase out Chris Hemsworth as Thor. Now, why is there a female Thor? There was lots of conversation before the movie actually came out. The theory was that it was all to do with uh, multiverse stuff, which will lead me into a conversation about, very briefly, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. But... On this occasion, it isn't because of that. I'm not going to go into it because I feel that it's quite spoiler territory and I don't want people to stumble across spoilers in, in any of my podcasts. So I will say that it's a fundamental part of the movie and it's quite cleverly woven in. It's very integral to the plot, obviously, but it's not to do with Thor jumping from 
one reality to another reality, which I'm getting a little bit worried about, to be honest. Don't get me wrong. I loved Spider-Man No Way Home. And the genius of Spider-Man No Way Home is they pulled together five other movies and sort of like connected it into the Tom Holland version of Spider-Man by saying, hey, these are different Spider-Man in different Spider-Men, Spider-Mans hmm, in different universes. So you're Spider-Man too. Why don't you just say that? I generally don't go around advertising it kind of defeats the whole anonymous superhero thing. So now that we got the idea of multiverses, nothing ever is a reboot anymore or it's like a prequel or sequel. It's just like this is Spider-Man, Batman, whoever in a different universe. Make no mistake, DC is doing the same thing. They've already done it on TV in the Flash TV series where they pulled multiple Flashes, multiple Supermen from multiple different other TV shows and movies, which is great. It's great fan service if it's done right. But it is leading to the point that everything's now just a big ball of stuff that's just slowly interacting with each other. Again, the genius of Spider-Man, it actually made the Andrew Garfield movies better because they sort of like link them in and they kind of continue them in their own way. Very clever. But it doesn't change the fact that those on their own aren't the world's best movies. <laughs> a few months ago, I actually did a podcast episode on The Northman, which goes into Scandinavia. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Navian culture, why not? But with Thor, I'm going to keep going. I'm going to talk about some different things. 
And obviously I'm going to look at it in a different way. The Northman was fantastical, yes, legendary, kind of, but at least it was sort of rooted in the real world. Thor was always a god. He was never meant to be a person. And so, you know, by talking about him, we're talking about the culture of these Scandinavian people a thousand years ago. And what's interesting is, if you look at things like Hinduism or the Greek gods, or in this case, Thor and the other Norse gods, it's really interesting to me how clearly human beings have taken their own internal petty squabbles and basically projected them onto deities. I would imagine that if you truly were an, an all-powerful, immortal god, you wouldn't be peeved by the day-to-day. Is there any point betraying anybody? I'm going to see them again in a millennia anyway, and they'll keep coming back and keep coming back. The idea of these gods squabbling exists in every multi-monotheistic as well, but also polytheistic religions. I mean, you might say, Jem, how can you have God arguing amongst himself? But there are hints of it even in Christianity. You have the devil fighting God. Again, why? If God is all-powerful, what's the point of the devil fighting? Because He's going to lose. In all of these religions, there are these slightly strange, petty squabbles going on. In the case of Thor, yes, he does clash with his brother Loki. And I've mentioned it before, but Loki is one of the most interesting characters in all of mythology in the whole world. You see, if you're dealing with somebody like, let's say, Poseidon, okay, we know what Poseidon's powers are, and Poseidon behaves the same way or logically the same way in every story he is mentioned. Could be the same with, I don't know, Vishnu, or it could be the same in the case of Thor. But Loki actually has, for want of a better phrase, character development, which I find fascinating. First of all, he starts off in a mischievous way, but by the end of the stories, he's gone full-blown malevolent. He also is incredibly important in Norse mythology. He's not just on the periphery, sort of like sniping and saying funny little comments like he is in the movies. You get Jormungandr. Hard phrase to say, took me a while to learn it. The, the world serpent, this gigantic serpent that can wrap its coils around the whole of planet Earth, is his child. He also gave birth to a six-legged horse as well. Oh, sorry, eight legs. I, I missed two legs. I apologize. So Loki is integral in creating some of the most important and potent forces in the Norse mythology world. We also get the idea of these different realms. Your world is one of the nine realms of the cosmos, linked to each other by the branches of Vigdrasil, the world's tree. You get Niflheim and Helheim and Middenheim. And we have the realm of humans, but then there's the realms of the sort of the frost giants and, and so on and so forth. These different areas which have various types of creatures there and powers there, etc. And that's in Thor. I've got to give the Thor credit, but obviously this does sort of tie into the whole multiverse thing. But the Vikings were doing it a thousand years ago. We get things like the Rainbow Causeway taking us from the place of the gods, you know, Valhalla, over to you know, the humanity. 
That was there a thousand years ago. That's not just 1960s weird trippy stuff. So they have picked up on a number of different parts of Norse mythology and pretty seamlessly stitch it into comic book silliness, basically. But as I've said before, and it's still not happening, and Disney, listen to me, okay? What I find fascinating is clearly Christianity won in the West. By the year 1200, there were no pagans left anywhere in Europe. Basically, you had two flavors. You either had Orthodox Christians or you had Catholic Christians. That was it by 1200. There were no pagans left. The last few pagans were up in, in the Baltic regions, mainly Estonia, the Wends. So, yeah, so all those people existed. I, again, I go into more detail about that in the Northman episode. But what I find fascinating is that if Christianity won, and things like Yuletide got turned into Christmas. There are all these sort of appropriations by Christianity. You would have thought the obvious one to have appropriated would be the days of the week. But every single day of the week is named after a pagan god, some Roman, some actually Scandinavian. So Monday, Lundi in, in French, is Moon Day, so Luna. So there we go. So we got Monday is to do with the moon, which is Roman. Then we get Tuesday. Chu is a Scandinavian god. Wednesday, Woden's Day. Woden, Odin, head of the gods, the Zeus of Scandinavia, if you like. Then Thursday is Thor's Day. And the good news is that this time round, you've got a Thor movie coming out on a Thursday. Thor movie should be coming out on Thursday, Thor's day. But they didn't originally because, let's face it, most movies come out on a Friday, but that's named after a different god. Friday, Freya, a goddess of Scandinavian mythology. Saturday, Saturn. Sunday, the sun. Okay, so we've got sort of three... Celestial bodies, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, all of those are Roman, the rest of them are Scandinavian. Why weren't they turned into, you know, Monday could be Mark's day, you know, and Paul and Peter and Jesus' day could be Sunday or something like that. Well, Christianity didn't get a look in. And this does tell you how ingrained this pagan culture was and is in Europe. This is interesting that we still get things like Greek mythology is still mentioned in Europe. If I've I mentioned Zeus in passing, I know you know who Zeus is. Nobody has prayed to Zeus for about one and a half thousand years. And yet, now, the Scandinavian gods were actually prayed to much, much later. They were prayed to into the 11th century, a little bit later than that as well. What's interesting when we get to the Viking invasions, and, and again, I go into exactly what a Viking is and isn't in the Northman episode, but I'm just going to say Viking from now on. When the Vikings started attacking Europe, they were absolutely all pagans. But the first time England was finally conquered by one of these peoples was you know, technically a Sven Forkbeard, but he actually died on campaign, so he never got to really rule. But it is technically true that England had a king called Sven Forkbeard. How about that? But his son, a guy called Canute, he absolutely ruled England, and he had a whole North Sea empire stretching from Iceland to England to parts of little bits of Scotland, but then on into Norway and Sweden and Denmark. That's a considerable amount of territory. 
but he was Christian. And if we're going to go to Canute, I know one thing everybody knows about him, apart from the fact that if you spell or pronounce his name wrong, you're in big trouble, is the fact that he got his feet wet. He stood there and told the sea to go back and got his feet wet. That's actually, well, first of all, it's a parable. This never happened, but that's actually only half the parable. And it's a sign of his Christianity as to why he got his feet wet. So what happened was, allegedly, there's no indication this literally happened, but this is a story associated with him written down at the time, is that basically he was surrounded by all these hangers-on saying, oh, you're amazing, you're so powerful, oh, you're so awesome. And he went, no, there is nothing more awesome than God. Let me show you. Put a chair on the beach and I will command the sea to go away. And obviously it fails, and he goes, that shows you the power of God Almighty. So actually, it wasn't him being arrogant and a fool. It was the complete opposite. It was him showing deference to the Lord God Almighty. Now, this is in the early thousands when we've got King Canute. There were other Vikings at the time who still clearly were pagan, and I can bring this all the way back to Thor, which I find fascinating, because I mentioned Thor's hammer Mjolnir, and we actually have some archaeological evidence where some crafty jewelers a thousand years ago created a, how can I put this in a sort of technical way, a flexible Thor hammer. What do I mean by that? In the sense that if you dangled it one way from your neck chain, it would be Thor's hammer. But if you dangled it the other way, of course, a hammer the other way up looks like a cross. So this is either the cross of Jesus or the hammer of Thor. Remember that the next time you watch Thor Love and Thunder and you see him wielding that hammer around Mjolnir and think, well, maybe it's the cross of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ as well. I find that really, really interesting. But this that Thor still existed. He existed, obviously, in our language through the days of the week. But he was still kind of there. If we move into his daddy, Odin, Woden, Mr. Wednesday, literally. What's today? Wednesday. Today's my day. He was one-eyed and he had his eye plucked out to get knowledge. Odin is very flawed. He is kind of power hungry. He, like his son Loki, is a bit of a trickster. He will tempt people. He will test people. Having Odin come to you is not the same thing as, let's say, Jesus Christ coming to you. Jesus Christ would always have your best interests at heart and would protect you from harm. However, Odin might be the actual harm. So, with the main antagonist of Thor, Love and Thunder, Gore, the God Butcher, he actually reinforces this point. He says at one point, the gods will use you, but they won't help you, showing that these pre-Judeo-Christian gods were something to be suspicious about, that they, their turning up didn't mean problem solved. And it's beautifully summarised in that one sentence. The other thing is, of course, highly status peoples, basically the kings of Europe, in northern Europe, wanted to associate themselves with powerful people in the past. And so some of these Scandinavian kings, like, for example, Canute, would have a family tree that literally brought them back to Odin. 
But in the south, you had things like the kings of France who were bringing their bloodline back, according to their family tree, back to the likes of King David and Adam and Eve, which would technically make them Jewish, but let's not go there. And what I love, therefore, about Queen Elizabeth II, just had her 70th jubilee here in Britain, she has blood from both Nordic peoples and obviously from the crowns of Europe as well, which means that if you want to trace her bloodlines back and take all these family trees literally, she has the blood of both Moses and Thor in her. That's amazing. I mean, she, no wonder she's been ruling for so long. She's basically a superhero in her own right, if you're going to take that blood law thing as, as sort of technically accurate, which, for the record, it isn't, okay? This is all sort of made up, obviously, clearly, okay? So, look, I've got a bit more to say, but just before I go any further, please, please, do click subscribe on this. If you can give us a review on whatever podcast you're listening to this on, whatever app, etc., that all helps to get us noticed. Please, if you can help us spread the word, I'm at Jem Daduccio on Twitter. The reality is with that, I every week I talk, let you know what the latest one's about. And also people come back to me occasionally and say, oh, I like this one or have you thought about this? Sometimes I get challenges and I more often than not do accept those challenges. You might want to reach out to me on Twitter there. But now we get back to the sort of wrap up and summary of our friend Thor. At the time of recording, it's unclear whether... Thor Love and Thunder is going to blow the doors off the box office, whether or not it's going to be the biggest movie ever. I suspect not. Going all the way back to the beginning of this podcast and we get Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, I'm sure it'll do fine. I'm sure it'll get to maybe around about a billion dollars mark. Make no mistake, the last Thor Ragnarok, that did the better than any other Thor, but that still grossed a comparatively light 780 million worldwide. I mean, it made its money back and then some. It was a profitable movie, but nothing like Avengers Endgame, let's say. But I have no doubt that people love Thor. Chris Hemsworth is great. He's a, he is able to do the heroics and he's also able to be hilariously funny as well. That's a rare talent. But he is also, as I've said before, an example of one of these modern actors where he can walk down the red carpet. He can have a billion dollar movie sort of like gross around the world, but only if he's playing that character. If, however, he's playing, well, I mean, there's the excellent movie he's in called Rush, directed by Ron Howard, by the way. It's one of his good ones, which is the true story about James Hunt and Nicky Lauda in Formula One in the 1970s. But I intend to enjoy myself first. Well, some of life needs to be for pleasure. And what's the point of having a million cups and medals and in planes if you don't have any fun? And how's that winning? He is excellent in that. It is a great movie. I believe it's rated R or 15 in the UK because there's some adult content in it. But it is a great movie. And yeah, well done him for being immersing himself in this 70s icon. But the thing is, it didn't make nearly as much money as a superhero movie. So... We've got these people where they get the big paychecks when they get to strap on the spandex. Little harsh, nobody actually wears spandex in these movies. But at the same time, they want to do other things. He cannot be Thor in 30 years' time. He's going to have to change at some point, And they'll have to hand the hammer on to another generation. 
which reminds me of a joke. Why did the Scandinavian god drop Mjolnir? Because his hands were Thor. <laughs> Sorry, I'm leaving you on that point. Have a good one and another podcast coming soon. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.